1: Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
2: This is CNBC Breaking News. Market sell-off.
3: Good Wednesday morning. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Kramer, David Faber, all coming to you live from separate locations as we take precautions with social distancing due to the spread of the coronavirus. Futures limit down. Markets watching COVID-19 cases in all 50 states now. Uh, the fiscal, the monetary response, the progress of test kits, travel restrictions, therapeutics, the whole thing. Europe's down five, oil below 25, and that will take you back to 2002. So. Yesterday's gains are obviously in jeopardy since February 24, the first big day of the virus sell off. The average daily move of the S&P guys up or down 4.9 percent. Jim, uh, don't need to tell you that that is unprecedented.
4: Now, the market is uh, trying to figure out how to deal with these uncertain times when you've got both financial health on the line. And and of course, what we were just talking about with separation, uh, actual health. And I think it's not processing it very well, uh, in part because the liquidity is not there, but also because we're in a highly emotional moment. I mean, yesterday, it looked like the market was up, but the indices lie. I mean, what was really up were things like Hormel. I mean, it's really interesting, but when we put uh, fall shutters in the country in 1961, one of your first things to do was, yes, put in spam. And the other day it was Chef Boyardee with Conagra. The wrong stocks are going up is what I'm saying, Carl. It's the, the companies that we uh, invoked during thermonuclear war times. And I'd like to try to see that we'd be more constructive than that. But that was what was up in the index, that and, uh, and the drug stocks, kind of a rally, a uh, half-hearted rally in, in the semis. So it's easy to see what we'll give back. But don't forget, yesterday may have been a bottom For some of the more Johnson Johnson Johnson-like stocks, the AAAs, they can trade lower. But obviously, that's something you want to buy if you think there's a snapback. But otherwise, we have to do some triage, not unlike what I think they have to do in the healthcare system. And you always hate to even use that word because what it it reminds us is that some have to live and some have to die. But you know what? I I can't be – I want to be constructive because that's what's necessary for the country. But I also want to be realistic. can't cost people a lot of money who are watching. Uh, and, for instance, I think that number one on the agenda of right now is something big, uh, much bigger than $1.2 trillion. We need something. We need a new entity, Carl, as if this were not the New Deal. It, it, we need at least an NRA that makes it so that we don't wipe out the little guy. At the same time, we need a gigantic uh, credit uh, entity, not the ones we have right now. We need Congress to go, go over with the Treasury Secretary and Federal Reserve and perhaps do maybe it's a trillion-dollar Treasury offering. Yep. Uh, maybe no, that's, that's what's why-
3: yeah, that's why we're, we're going to rely on you, Jim, not just for your market knowledge, but your experience as a small businessman who, high, who has employees and has yeah. to make decisions that 30 million other uh, small business owners are having Maybe to do as was well. yesterday,
4: Carl, and it's brutal. My what, wife made, what? well, we're going to pay people uh, 50% of their salary for the 25-some employees uh, over the course of the next two weeks. And then, uh, look, I'm per- a person of means. I'm not going to let these people have a... a Uh, I'm uh, uh, I'm very lucky and very blessed. And so we will do something more than that. Uh, But at the same time, I recognize these conversations are happening all over the country and the one we don't want to have is at Boeing. And I know I listened to Phil this morning and yes, they need 60, but it's not 60 billion for them. It's 60 billion for the supply chain. There's 17,000 little guys, so to speak. It's a national defense issue as well as it's transit. So if you have to prioritize, I'm going with Boeing this morning as a way for the federal government, for Steve Mnuchin and for President Trump to actually say, "Okay, look, We've got an entity, and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about the, the the really maybe a total of 2 million people who are involved with aerospace, and we'll use that as a template. And, David, I think you know it's it's one of those moments where it's the credit side, not the equity side. And we, we talk equities because a lot of, uh, of our investors have them, but the uh, we always forget, and you remind us, that it's the credit side that we're most worried about
1: yeah and you know what's interesting of course guys is that companies that can raise money are being advised to do so and so yesterday in the investment grade uh, market you saw verizon raise three and a half billion you saw exxon Mobil raise eight and a half billion you saw pepsi raise six and a half billion exxon did it at i think 10 years at 240 basis points over the corresponding treasury at 30 years 265 basis points over boeing can't do that boeing cannot raise money right now in the investment grade market to your point jim Boeing needs the U.S. government to come to its support or indicate some sort of support before it will be in a position to go out and raise the money that it needs. And that kind of points to where things are right now. But it is interesting to note that those companies, at least, Exxon, Verizon, Pepsi, were able to raise significant amounts of money. And again, many companies can't. High yield is closed right now. The average yield is 10%. You could imagine it's trading at 940 basis points over, uh, and there's no issuance going on there right now. So credit has certainly got to be a focus, uh, Jim and Carl, and will be from here in terms of companies' ability to raise additional funds for what they know is going to be potentially weeks and months of tumult.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, Carl, I think that we need to think bigger. We put a price tag, $1.2 trillion. Here's the price tag. It's whatever it takes. It's whatever it takes to keep the uh, men and women, the 100 million people who are at work, uh, uh, who are losing their jobs. Or I mean, let's say the two in 2018. What do we have uh, in the number of people? 309 billion in payroll and restaurant and bar. 87 billion in hotel. 63 billion in performing arts. Thank you, New York Times. Uh, 59 in tr- billion in transport. Uh, 56 billion in amusement. Well, you know what? You can advance all the loans you want to buy small business and all these others. We don't want loans. We want you to pay these people while we wait for the virus to be defeated. And there, I think it's just a question of Manhattan Project. Every single one of the scientists that I've spoken to with these big drug companies and little ones are all working on something of, uh, of great consequence. We just need to wait until they find it. And we can't afford to shut down the whole country uh, without the country having something that even FDR would be hard to grasp. Right.
3: Uh, the question, right. Jim, is going to be Jim, what, what your- conditions... <laughs> This is going to be part of the new uh, thing we work out, guys, in all the different places. Jim, what conditions are there going to be on industries that are bailed out? We got suggestions from Cuban. No more promise, no more buybacks ever. Elizabeth Warren has a more expansive look at how it's going to change the way companies manage their balance sheets forever.
4: Well, why don't we get through it first? Uh, Look, these are two people whose principles I admire. I had Elizabeth, uh, Senator Warren on just, uh, geez, what was that week ago? But it seems like about a couple of years. Uh, A lot of equity issues need to be brought up. I already tweeted that I completely agree with Mark Cuban. My problem is, is that, uh, and all these people are brilliant. We need to get, obviously, a a team, a working cluster of people. It can't just be the Treasury Secretary. It can't just be uh, Vice President Pence. It can't be the president. We need an entity, and an entity that, that, let's say, uh, gets permission from Congress for a trillion dollar 30-year which we could use, by the way. We used to worry about the Chinese selling their third. We need 30 year. And then have, an, have some entity decide who lives and who dies. Obviously, we just have to say who lives. And then we can have all these equity issues. A, a CEO who uh, borrowed too much money. Well, you know, we have to figure out whether that CEO should remain. But I, what I really want to do is rather than punish, I want to be constructive. There are entities that we can deal with later, but we have to get the money to aerospace. We have to get the money to the, the 100 million uh, people who work in the service economy. We have to get the money to the working person and then let the rich people worry about themselves. It, it's funny because I found myself reading Lenin last night. Now, that's something you typically don't want to go into on a business show, particularly in the first eight minutes. But, you know, w- we need to have the means of production to continue. And we need the government without, without, of course, rounding up the tulips. We need the government to be thinking bigger than it ever has since 1932. And I hope they do that. And not like, look, the president is uniquely focused on what's big. This is the moment. no one is going to come back to him and say, "You know what? you took too much and gave too much to the working person. No one in history in the next fifty years is ever going to say, "You know what, President Trump thought too big. It, this is the time to think big
1: right um, you know Jim, in listening to you it, you're, it, the converse, what you 're offering is a similar conversation that i 've had with a number of of people in our financial system with great responsibility. How you get the money, though, to the companies so that they can guarantee the employment of the people that they otherwise would be and are beginning to furlough or beginning to lay off right now remains somewhat unclear. What's the mechanism by which you can do that, uh, I think is something that's got to be thought through. But there's not a lot of time.
4: Well, you know, what we're going to hear from, I believe, for Secretary Mnuchin during this hour, communicating with him, I mean, it's, kind of the live TV that we have to do. But you're absolutely right, uh, David. I I think that one of the things that, again, uh, Congress, Treasury Secretary, President, everyone has to get together with the Fed and say, listen, let's get the money and then we'll deal with how to administer it. But I'd love to see a team, just like we have a working team with Dr. Fauci and Vice President Pence, let's just get a working team. A working team right now that decides, okay, listen, we're going to ring fence and keep certain industries and then we'll deal with it later. Now, no one's going to make any money. We just want to make it so that working people continue with their jobs. And, David uh, and Carl, you know what is front and center? It's the actual service industry, the restaurant industry. Uh, it's taken a huge hit from the coronavirus. It's probably one of the most exposed, obviously, because we're telling people, listen, we don't want you to be in business, but we want you to keep paying your people. Uh, so we need to hold. Uh, uh, we need to speak to one of the people whom my regard as being a. Uh, a young deacon in the industry. We need to speak to David Gibbs. He's the CEO of Yum Brands, which employs uh, tens of thousands of people and is trying to keep them on the payroll. So, David, thank you for joining uh, Squawk on the Street. First, could you give us the scope of the situation for your company, then for the industry, and what you need and what you can do?
5: Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, look, my, my number one message is: we are open for business. Uh, you know, our restaurants have means to act, act to access us in a safe food in a low contact environment. That's through drive-through, delivery, carry-out. That's eighteen thousand restaurants in the U.S., fifty thousand around the world. We have more restaurants than anybody else. We know a two or thing about those channels and how we can provide that food to customers in a safe manner. So open for business, and of course, what guides us during times like this is what's always guided us, and that's our customers, our employees, and our franchisees. You know, Jim, you said you know tens of thousands of employees. Actually, in the United States, we have over 400,000 employees. That's got to be our number one priority right now, making sure these restaurants are operational, serving customers, safe food in a way that they can you know, return to a little normalcy with our comfort food and our great value for them during tough times.
4: David, how do we assure uh, health and how do we assure the health of your patrons? Uh, I, for one, uh, was possessed with my restaurants. Are we going to serve fresh food? Is it going to be clean? Or we have to worry? I mean, what are the positions, and I know you're, you're in contact with Yum China, different company, what did they do there? I mean, even from Federal Express today, they're back to normal with China. I want to know what they did to transition between the this uh, and now where it looks like they're almost back to work. Give us the Yum China blueprint.
5: Yeah, well, look, all of our business in Asia obviously has uh, dealt with this issue, so we're learning from them, as you mentioned. Um, Yum China has been a leader in, and their great CEO, Joey Watt, have done a fantastic job of reacting to the situation. Um, and you know, you've seen some of the things that they've done in terms of safety and hygiene. Uh, rolling out, you know, this idea of contactless delivery, um, they invented that concept. You're now seeing a lot of the companies in the U.S. start to um, play with it. We've already rolled that out in our U.S. restaurants. But in, look, in times like these, you need to be quick, agile, and you need, need to learn, you need to double down on what we have at Yum, which is already very strict food safety and hygiene procedures and cleaning for cleaning and sanitation. You know, we view our food safety as above and beyond. We're the largest restaurant company in the world. We've built trust with our consumers. We need to lean in on that and lead. So we do a lot of things electively before this you know situation developed to ensure the safety of the food supply that we provide customers. If you show up at one of our restaurants to work, the first thing you do is go through food safety training. If you're washing your hands, you wash your hands, then you sanitize them, and then you put on gloves. That extra step of sanitizing is not in every restaurant. We've been doing that for years. Uh, and then we do extra food safety audits beyond what the health department requires just because it's the right thing to do for our, our customers and our employees. And we recertify those employees every year. But in times like this, you've got to go further. So what you see now is you see our employees wearing gloves at the drive through and the, the front counter and, and leaning in on this idea of contactless delivery where you, you can place an order online and really avoid any contact with somebody else and get that food delivered to your door or pick it up in the restaurant in a contactless way.
3: Hey, hey David. Um... Credit Suisse today says they see a quarter of households shifting 50% of their meal spend to home for the next four months. So this massive shift of share from restaurants uh, to grocery, to the degree you're trying to protect it, can delivery and drive throughs and contactless uh, delivery, uh, how much throughput can it it offer?
5: Look, this is going to have different impacts on different restaurant companies. We're obviously well-positioned. Uh, in terms of uh, the the impact it's going to have because our brands tend to have more off-premise consumption. So Taco Bell, for example, in a drive-through, 75% 75% of their business was already in the drive-thru, plus some carry-out business, we weren't as reliant on the dining room. Uh, obviously, Pizza Hut with delivery and carry-out, and then KFC, you know, there's nothing better than taking a bucket of chicken home for, uh, for your family during times like this. So, we, we I think we're well-positioned uh, to deal with that, but it's certainly going to be a headwind for the entire industry and for us, and that's why we're going the extra mile right now to make sure we're set up to serve America. I mean, it's, I think the thing that people forget is, you know, they think of us as large companies, but these are Small businesses all around the country. Those eighteen thousand restaurants I mentioned—they're all run by franchisees. They're small business people. They're one of my pr- highest priorities right now to make sure that we protect them and they can come out of this on the other end whole. And you know, our brands have been around for sixty years—a big part of the fabric of the country. The best thing we can do right now is those operators of ten or fifteen units in your community go go visit those restaurants, help them, and help them help their business and have some great food at the same time.
3: And our, our- are, are you forgiving uh, rent or for those uh, franchisees that do pay you for rent
5: well you know the model you're talking about is uh, one that some of our competitors use where they own the real oh. estate and then the rent is uh, paid to the parent company we don't have Got that it. model our our, our uh, franchisees are as i say they're small businesses they have their own landlord situation sometimes they own the real estate and, you know, they're dealing with that on a case by case basis. What we will do is um, provide them some guidance in how they think through that with their lenders, with their landlords and with other you know, uh, obligations that they have.
1: David, um, what are you and your franchisees seeing right now in terms of your supply chain? Where are you focused? Are you seeing any hiccups or significant dislocations in that supply chain? Are you concerned about what may be coming and what are you doing to potentially deal with that?
5: Yeah, actually, uh, you know, we're lucky. Um, as the largest restaurant company in the United States, we have a massive supply chain co-op that services all all three of our brands over $5 billion in food purchasing a year. So we have a lot of professionals uh, working on that challenge. Now, what I will say is, obviously, some of the demand has dried up in the restaurant industry. So we don't really see supply as a big challenge now because we have the great professionals working against it and because you know, there are restaurants closing. There is you know, going to be some excess supply out there. But it's also just another reason um, that customers need to be frequenting our restaurants. It's not just the 400,000 employees in the restaurants. It's all the people that work on the supply chain. It's the farmers, the people in the factory. You know, it, it's keeping all of them employed um, by giving your business to the lo- local businesses in your community.
4: David, I appreciate everything you're saying. We have a $309 billion employee compensation for 2018. And payroll, uh, this isn't big enough. Uh, you're not speaking big enough. You're, you're talking about people going to restaurants. Uh, what, how much money do you need from the federal government to pay your people without a loan, to pay everyone involved in your, in your chain? Because th- let's be realistic. No one's going to be able to get through to the other side. Y- you're facing a, a Jordan River here. And I think it's really great that we might want to go get a bucket of KFC. Love it myself. But I need to know if you were Secretary Mnuchin right now and you created a trillion dollar fund, how much would David Gibbs and his team need and how much would the restaurant crew need? Because you're not going to be able to make it up with patrons.
5: Yeah, that, that, look, as you say, Jim, I'm focused on our part of the industry and, and I recognize that you know, these problems are bigger and broader than just um, you know, the, the restaurant industry. Uh, but as far as you know, what we need, uh, I was fortunate enough to participate in the call that uh, the White House had yesterday with Secretary Mnuchin and President Trump, and I was really pleased with the message I heard, which is you know they understand that keeping restaurants open for business is important for our economy and important for you know a safe food supply for our, everybody that lives in this great country. Um, so you, there will be challenges, certainly financially, if sales you know soften. And uh, the the people that need the money is not young brands. The people that are going to need the money are our great franchisees that are spread throughout this country. So this is more of a small business problem than it is a big corporate problem. And I think the administration understands that.
3: Uh, David, as we're talking, uh, Starbucks authorization of $40 million repurchase. What is the buyback playbook from here?
5: Sure. Well, obviously, the, the, the prudent thing for us to be doing right now is to making sure we have as much uh, available for our franchisees and, hel- and helping them in any ways that we can. Yes. So, uh, you know, th- th- we'll talk more about this when we get to our earnings call. But you're, we're taking all the necessary actions that you could imagine. So that's not necessarily in our, in our playbook. David.
1: And David, finally, at least for me, how, how long do you anticipate that we're going to be dealing with this situation?
5: Look, I think that's an open-ended question. If I had the answer, I'd tell everybody, uh, you, we've seen it play out in other markets and we, you know, we've seen other, some of them get to the other side. And I think it just depends on, you know, how cautious we are and, you know, the actions that we take as a country right now. And that's why I think we all should be, you know, very vigilant and follow all the protocols that, you know, and all the guidance that we're getting. And that includes, you know, uh, uh, not eating in restaurants, but accessing them through drive-through delivery and carry-out channels. David, in the end, we are a business channel and we want to talk about shareholders.
4: Uh, is it possible to have a situation where we actually bail out the workers, which ultimately is better for the shareholders then bailing out the shareholders themselves and the entity and the executives. The reason I mention that is because we're dealing with issues of equity that Mark Cuban, who is, I think, a great thinker of our time, is really addressing. And I want the workers to be protected, which I think ultimately will make it so that the entities get saved. Can you save the workers? Can you worry about health care and also save the entity itself?
5: Look, I, I think anything's possible, um, and it's just about a, how much money we spend. And I, I totally get the point that our focus should be on employees, small businesses, you know, the people on the front lines of this, because then the entire you know chain benefits. Um, but but we also obviously need to be careful. We can't let large corporations tip over um, because that would have the, the obviously the impact on unemployment would be huge. So I, it's just a balancing act. Yeah, so that's, that's well said, David, and really want to thank you for
4: coming on, given the fact that you are the largest and probably at the front line of what we need to do for uh, for the country right now. That's David Gibbs. He's the CEO of Yum! Brands. Carl, back to you.
3: All right, Jim, thanks for bringing that to us. Let's get the latest uh, coronavirus headlines this morning. For that, we'll turn to Rahel Solomon back at HQ.
6: Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. So just this morning, worldwide cases crossed 200,000 with more than 8,200 dead In the U.S., cases are soaring as the virus spreads and more people get tested. There are more than 6,400 confirmed cases and 114 people have died. And the virus is now in all 50 states after West Virginia reported its first case Tuesday afternoon. Around the globe, nations are fighting the virus through increasingly tight restrictions on movement while committing trillions of dollars to combat the economic crisis. The European Union will close its borders and close off at least 26 countries to almost all visitors for 30 days. The World Health Organization now declaring Europe the epicenter of the outbreak. And back here at home, state and local officials trying to enforce social distancing are implementing a patchwork set of measures, some going well beyond the administration's recommendation that Americans avoid bars, restaurants, and gatherings of 10 or more people. San Francisco's shelter-in-place requires some 6.7 million Bay Area residents to stay home until at least April 7th. New York City's 8.6 million residents also bracing for the possibility of similar rules and within the next 48 hours. And then just this morning, the largest public transportation system in North America, the MTA here in the New York City area, announced it is seeking a $4 billion federal bailout. The MTA saying that it has seen ridership plunge more than 50 percent on its subways and buses compared to the same time last year. Carl, I'll send it back to you.
4: All right. Thank you very much for your help. Uh, Jim, let's get some mad dash action today. Yeah, obviously, if you start thinking about public transit, we're really everything is on the line. There's a stock that was at four hundred and thirty nine dollars uh, last year. Double digit uh, this week, four thirty nine dollars. And that was Boeing. And now Boeing looks like it's going to be at 100. Uh, I think Boeing is front and center. Why? Because Boeing will run out of money. Uh, they have a, they managed to be able to very smartly bring down the revolver. Uh, they have, I think, about 10 uh, billion dollars. But there are two million jobs on the line. And I think that when, the, uh, when we figure out who to triage, we must save Boeing, so to speak, both from the side that the airlines are going to get money. But if you don't have maybe one of the, if not the most important company in the country, Solvent, then I think a lot of things are go- going to go wrong. If we find out that maybe the government takes a stake in Boeing, maybe Boeing gets some sort of lifeline for the workers, then I think today goes better. Uh, if we just decide that Boeing mm. is uh, thrown to the wolves of the market, And, Carl, you and I are going to, and David, we're going to have a very different day, uh, along with 317 million other Americans. So uh, my mad dash is that Boeing and its 17,000 suppliers need the 60 billion. It's not a plea for me. It's a plea for the 2 million workers who are in the supply chain.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jim, it's David. I mean, you know the answer to that. And listening to you ask the question, there's no way the U.S. government can let that happen, is there? Uh, You know, now we can all go back a few months and talk about the problems that Boeing created for itself. A story that we were following every day right. with the 737 max. But it doesn't matter now. Right. Those right. numbers that you're citing, in terms of its impact on the economy, it simply seems impossible to imagine the U.S. government can let this company go, dare I say, bankrupt. Uh, right. And if they don't come to its aid, it won't be able to hit the capital markets. But if they do, it certainly might.
4: But a, letter, a line of credit, David, that's advanced by a company – Created by the U.S. government, and I say company only because I think this is a, a business, basically the business of the trillion dollar or two trillion, whatever it takes. I'm invoking now Lenin and Maplin X, this is some morning, I, but I do feel that <laughs> it absolutely has to be addressed. Now, David, I would say, what is the priority? Um, it can probably wait till eleven thirty, twelve thirty. Maybe that's yeah. it. today the
1: timeline. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I'll leave that to you. Okay, you want to make it four This o'clock? does seem to be a yeah. No, it seems to be a let's call it a uh, hour by hour story. Well, how I long does nine billion last fast.
4: in a business where you've got to pay suppliers? Right. I mean, I think the answer is yeah. as long as they have money. But, you know, look, the president, I hope he's watched. whatever. Who the hell's watching? But I do know that Boeing is the one that you settle first, uh, not uh, J.C. Penney.
3: Jim, uh, so yesterday when we were getting reports floated of 50, 60 billion dollars for airlines and you saw uh, airline shares down, uh, how much of that is related to the fear that if bailouts happen, uh, Common gets uh, sacrificed?
4: Well, I mean, I, I think that let's deal with This is a great question, Carl. I mean, I think that the, that the way you can get Congress to budge and put... Trillion, two trillion, again, whatever it takes, is to have it go for the employees. I, I myself feel that if you pay the employees, uh, you're not necessarily going to do well if you own the common stocks, definitely. But that's something, I, again, we have to settle out. What I was hoping for is a situation where if you have an entity that we want saved, uh, we know that if the government were to take a stake, 10 percent, you've got to be really creative, 10 percent American Air, 10 percent United, 10 percent Delta, 10 percent Southwest, 10 percent JetBlue, 25 percent Boeing, whoever else needs it. We, these companies, when we solve this, and I think we seem to forget that we are going to solve this and the, well, who's going to solve it is American science. That's going to be the greatest investment the government ever made. The companies are all going to stay in business. And then we don't have to think about the who lives, who dies scenario. Uh, As long as we ring fence the industries that we absolutely need. Again, I come back to uh, we all get personal about these things. Do we want to save a company whose clothes end up in a landfill that's made of polyester and it's imported from China? Uh, You know what? That's not high on my list. But I do think that what happens here is we need to make decisions. Whether uh, I prefer investments, if not investments, then payments to the employees uh and then let the shareholders kind of scramble i don't like that because we're shareholder friendly network but it's the credit side and, and i go back to david you know you know david we look at the equity side and we think where is it in the pecking order we know from unfortunately bankruptcy law it's not that high and we don't want all these companies to go bankrupt but david you know it's the credit side that has that theoretically has to has to be protected first
1: Yes, and it's the credit side that will dictate terms conceivably in these kinds of situations or fairly soon. And when you're talking about bailouts of the likes that we may be dealing with, Jim, as you well know, you may be penalizing and or pushing down hard on that equity. There's still $70 billion of equity value at Boeing, for example. So how exactly any bailout of that company would work is unclear. But you would not necessarily want to be in a position of rewarding the equity holders, I wouldn't think creditors are the key here and of course as you point out they take the primary role when we get to that point if we get to that point with any company and there are going to be a number of them where that of course is going to be the key but right now to the points you've been making all morning long the focus is how do you get money to these businesses that will guarantee they keep employment where it is because once we get through this we know the it
4: will be money good most likely right that's what's so important. It will be money, good, particularly if we do it in a creative way. I mean, I think that we're all kind of stuck with the, a TAF or the, these different letters that came from the, the previous go round. Those were about saving the banks. I want to go back to AAA and CCC and NRA, and we do our part. We do have to go back to FDR. If we sit here and we just think, will J Powell get in a room with a Treasury Secretary Mnuchin? You know, we're like we're like Hoover. We can't be Hoover. we got to be FDR.
3: We hopefully remember those lessons, Jim. But you're talking about industry-wide triage. Is your argument that we need to save aerospace and airlines more than, say, retail or travel and tourism or restaurants or
4: energy? Some things I'm going to leave to people who are elected officials to make that determination. I mean, I, I have my own view. I'm a person who's on TV. Uh, I would like to think that there are some national security uh, companies that must be saved. And then the next uh, part of the pecking order is uh, a base of the country that we know is needed. And then under that, I just want to protect the employees. Uh, For instance, when I was listening to Mr. Gibson, Yum, do I want the shareholders of Yum to be made whole? Absolutely. But more importantly, I want the people who work for Yum to be able to put dinner on the table next week and I know, again, it it, it sounds like what I'm saying is I'm abdicating capitalism. It's the opposite. As David said, we're going to win. And when it comes back, we're going to have a healthy workforce. And we'll make these companies come back. But here we go with the market. And obviously, the market is saying, let's do something big.
3: Right on cue, Jim, there is the opening bell and the S&P 500 of the CNBC Real-Time Exchange. At the big board, once again, Chris Taylor, Vice President of NYSE Listings at the NASDAQ. It is the New York Foundation for the Arts. So, circuit breakers, first one down 7%. You're all familiar by now, it would be 2350, I'm sorry, uh, 2352.15. All right, so not quite there, Jim.
4: No, you're talking about December 24th of 2018, when we believed that there was going to be some sort of recession, because we had raised rates very quickly, and uh, Chairman Powell was talking about three more rate hikes. Remember the October fourth, October fifth double play, where uh, Vice President Pence uh, really bait, Pence made a, a kind of a, an allusion to a containment policy uh, against China. And then we had Fed Chief uh, uh, Powell talking. I was on Ellen about raising rates. Uh, it, that is where we got to, and we I believe we have to slice through that, given about how I mean, twenty three ninety one seems a, almost idealistic, given what we know. But remember, there are two groups of companies. There's the Uh, What I call the hunters and the gatherers and the hunters are the ones with the good balance sheet and the gatherers, the ones that need people to gather and they're shut down. So uh, you want to be among the hunters. Go back to yesterday at the low and take a look at where the companies that have the triple A balance sheets, good balance sheets that don't need to uh, tap the uh, any credit line everywhere, but are self-funding. And they're going to bottom maybe at some point today. But then there's everybody else. So we're really talking. I'm talking about 15 percent of the S&P. That's interesting to me. And then 85 percent that better be interesting to the president, and Treasury Secretary.
3: <laughs> uh, 23.46 would be the Jeez. December 18 low, That's utopian. which of course uh, not breached yet. Jim, I wonder what you make of two things. Uh, first off, Bill Ackman uh, telling the president to essentially shut down the country for 30 days, calling it an extended spring break, stay home with your families. Uh, and then Mark Cuban, who talked about not just uh, sports, but his view that we're getting into more of, I don't want to say normal, but
4: at least net rational trading range, at least in the last couple sessions. Well, I mean, I think that there are a lot of companies. I mean, I look at General Mills reported a quarter and it's very funny, Carl. Was General, <laughs> General Mills' quarter was a miss, all right? But we're in uh, I, Can we come up with something better than the new normal, for heaven's sake? But General Mills was a miss <laughs> and the stock's only down $0.91 cents after being up $5.80 yesterday. Shows you exactly where we are these days. You can miss and still not repeal the gain. I like what, uh, what Mark Cubans thinking. I respect Bill Ackman very much. And now I sound like my friend Larry Kudlow and when you start with you know, with all due respect. But <laughs> the problem with shutting down the country is it's the working people. I mean, my wife advanced her hairdresser $500 this morning. Uh, and I said, why $500? Uh, she's a colorist. <laughs> National emergency. Uh, I find myself, you know, there are gallows humor here. But we, these are the people they're trying to figure out how to put food on the table. And when they hear hiatus, what they think is end of days. And we want to be more in the Cuban trading range than we want to be in the end of days apocalyptic. Let's get that off the table. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Because David, we got uh, to get that off the table. That, that's scary even to me. Yeah, I know.
3: David, uh, one of the heartening things this morning was Gottlieb on Squawk saying the actions that we've taken already regarding restrictions yes. are going to change the trajectory of the spread. He said he was hardened. Uh, he said that um, these are aggressive measures.
1: Yeah, and we've been talking about that now for a bit of time, of course, this idea of flattening the curve, which has become a nationwide mantra. There are positives to be gained from the actions that have taken place. Think about where we were even as little as a week ago, guys, and where we are right now in terms of what's going on. Obviously, it is going to have a debilitating effect, as we all know, on economic activity, which is what we're spending our time talking about. But the good news is, at least, that we can imagine that the spread of the disease, or of the virus, I should say, will be slowing, we can expect and hope. Uh, and that will have a positive impact. Carl, we don't know the numbers. We won't know. We'll, you know, we're only really now getting to the point where we're able to test people quickly and efficiently. Uh, and and that is something that we'll have to wait and see. But you're right to point that out, Carl. Uh, and I'm glad you did. And obviously we all listen very closely to uh, to Gottlieb and what he has to say.
4: Boy, Carl, you have a right. There's a, Brie Carrere, she's a Uh, Jeff Press, Chief Marketing Officer of uh, FedEx, last night on a call. I mean, it's it's hard to find solace in companies uh, when you're talking about something so bigger than companies. But they're talking about how things came back in China uh, and that they're talking about that there are basically – Full uh, business, business as usual. The uh, excellent COO talked about how there were 246 flights in and out of China just last week, aligned with our normal flight schedule. It's a reminder what happens if we keep cool and carry on. Yeah, exactly,
3: Jim. I mean, there's a big debate about the veracity of uh, China data. And yeah, they kicked out uh, the Journal and Times impl- uh, journalists in ten days. So, what what data can we trust? How about Starbucks this morning? Again, a few moments ago, ninety percent of China's stores are in fact open.
4: Yeah, I mean, we have to to, to look at the data. I know, for instance. Uh, the, the government once said uh, the Chinese government wants Disneyland to open up. And I think that Disney, of course, is most, most conscious of health, wants it to work uh, best as possible. But Kevin Johnson actually from Starbucks made me feel good, too. And Now, what is it, what's feeling good? It means that if we keep the fabric of the country alive through this period, we're going to get to where FedEx was yesterday when they did their call. And I think we'd be damn foolish to think, OK, let's think small Uh, $1.2 And then we get to that. And two days later, we actually solve the problem. That would be disastrous. Let's keep everything in place. That's not a hiatus. But, you know, everyone go take a a, a spring break, uh, particularly the 20 year olds who think that they're invincible and immortal and then come back and infect (laughs) the rest of us. But, you know, just like hold on both between the science and the fact that we're doing what Dr. Fauci wants. I I don't want us I, I don't want us to find that just when we got to the promised land, it's only Aaron that gets there. It's really important that everybody get there. And the way to do that is to tide people over. That money's going to come right back. I'm really conscious of what David said. Mm. It's going to come right back. But we've got to let the scientists like Regeneron that I owned last night, very positive about what they have for antiviral, very positive for a summer vaccine. And what we're doing with, with, with containment, because how did FedEx get full strength? How did Starbucks come right back because they followed the a protocol. We're following the protocol. I hate all the negativity about what we're doing and what we're not in Washington. They're doing their darn best. Whoever thought of this. But we see from Starbucks and FedEx that there is a promised land. Let's get there and then we can deal with the issues of equity.
1: Yeah, uh, guys, you know, something else, of course, that would be a story we'd be uh, focused on very much uh, would be the drop in the price of oil. Obviously, yes. it is related to. Uh, to a large extent, to the drop in demand. But as we also know, there's this completely separate story in terms of the Saudis and the Russians of a week and a half or so ago. We've got WTI, where trading around around 25. I don't have a monitor here, so I can't see it on my... On my but what about that side of things, Jim? You okay. know, in terms of oil and gas, do we sure. have similar expectations? Okay, so here that, we got... That uh, we're going to actually see these,
4: but we have see these companies... Brazil. Uh, yeah, but this is bad. Uh, yeah. I shouldn't characterize bad. That's, it's complicated. Uh, nuance, Rusty Brazil, my use uh, of Marbian Energy, without mentioning company names, Smith points out right here there's parts of the Permian, which is in Texas, that can still eke out some positive returns below 30, especially with drilling services getting so cheap. You saw the Halbert and Furloughs yesterday. So the scoop and stack of Oklahoma, dead, okay, except for a small corner. Eagleford, dead. Uh, very small pieces of the Rocky and Bakken can survive below 30. The big companies can cut CapEx. Uh, but uh, and obviously there's chapter 11s ahead. But you're right, David. I mean, to not focus on the destruction that the Saudis and Russians are, are uh, actually inflicting upon us. It's a little ridiculous. I mean, I don't understand why our president doesn't pick up the phone and call the Saudis and say, you know what? This is a two way street, buddies. You, know, you want protection. Stop making it so our industry goes under. It's fine to have oil low. But don't join the Russians in an attempt to be able to destabilize the greatest job engine. What's really you know think about what's important here. We like to have energy independence. We don't want the Saudis to take it away from us. How many people do we have? How many men and women in service do we have to make sure the Saudis can keep pumping? And they are trying to put us out of business? I mean, I think that a phone call from the president ends that, not just to fill up the SPR. I'd make that phone call probably, I don't know, about seven minutes ago.
3: Uh, briefly here, below 20K, uh, right. 19.999. 9, 9. We'll point out uh, VIX is down uh, six points to That's uh, very 75. Isn't that uh, yep. interesting? Uh, yep. And and Jim, yeah. so much conversation this week about uh, sector correlation, stock correlation. You do want to see that start to break apart. Uh, to inform you that there is some underlying repair.
4: Totally. To we want to see the VIX go down while the stocks go up. Obviously, there's so much in flux here. You know, I think we have to go again. I want to emphasize super huge. Uh, the Treasury Secretary, President, let's not use 1.2 trillion. Let's just say, you know what number we were going to use? We're going to use the number that makes it so that 100 million people don't get thrown out of work. That's our number. And when we figure out how much uh, after it costs to do that, and then we're going to reassemble because think about what happened with China. They got there. Think about what happens if Gilead ad's drug works, if Regeneron's drug works. Uh, think about what happened if the J&J project works. Those are going to. These are our Manhattan project people. There are lots of retired people who will have their savings in the stock market destroyed unless we throw trillions at this. Let's think about the retired people. Let's think about the people who are on fixed income where they're getting no income and recognize that this is, a, a, this is no different from 1933 except for please don't confiscate our gold, as the president did then.
1: Yeah. Um, guys, as, uh, you know, listen, one day we're going to be talking deals again, I hope. At the end of this, of course, there's an expectation, I think, that we're going to see a lot of potential consolidation of those who are the winners and the not winners. But I did want to mention at least a couple of pieces of news. I and mean, we've had so many dislocations in so many markets. Obviously, uh, in the takeover market, so to speak, spreads have blown out as you might expect, as money has been withdrawn, as so many hedge funds are dealing with so many different areas that they're pulling out, and the spreads have blown out. One though, Jim, that we've been very focused on, of course, is AbbVie and Allergan. You've talked about it many times. AbbVie been one of your favorite stocks. I Absolutely. know of these last few weeks as well. We should point out the FTC did grant preliminary approval based on a consent decree that the companies have entered into, and they are now talking about a close. Uh, in May for that deal. And the spread has tightened this morning, of course. It was trading at something like a 12% gross, meaning, you know, within, by May, you could you could re- realize almost that much. Uh, and in this market, that is saying something. Whether anybody would actually move into it was another question. Um, we're not going to see any deals right now, but I did want to mention that in particular, the only deals we will see, of course, are ones that are done out of desperation.
4: Absolutely. Now, look, AbbVie yield seven. My travel trust owns it. I'm very excited about the new Allergan drugs. I'm the spokesman for the National, you know, for the American Migraine Foundation. That's what I need right now is a migraine. And and I would say that I thought that the pill that they have, which is an acute pill to be able to get rid of migraine in an hour and a half, of which mine only took about 45 minutes, uh, is so good. But the market doesn't care right now. The stock's down four. The seven percent yield. Don't feel that Mr. Gonzalez is doing his thing. I think that's ridiculous. But I know, look, David, there was a time when I would say, you know what, I'm going to drill down on AbbVie. But right now I'm trying to drill down on the 100 million people, trying to figure out what they're having yeah. next week. And, yeah, maybe they can go to KFC and maybe they can't. All Right, it's right. a good point, Jim. Uh,
3: as we're talking, guys, the president's tweet, uh, we will be, by mutual consent, temporarily closing our northern border with Canada to non-essential traffic. Trade right. will not be affected. Uh, details to follow. OK, uh, let's get Damon Javers in Washington with uh, more on that and perhaps other things, too. Good morning, Damon.
7: Yeah. Good morning, Carl. As you say, the president tweeting that he'll be shutting the northern border with Canada. He said trade is not going to be affected. This is something that's been under discussion for the past couple of days. They had not wanted necessarily to do that. But clearly, the president deciding this morning that's the right step to take right now. So let's review the bidding in terms of where we are uh, in terms of all of the different federal aid uh, that's been proposed and disposed as of right now, starting uh, with this Uh, multi-billion dollar package that passed the House of Representatives and was signed into law uh, last week. We had the uh, 8.5 billion for vaccines and R&D. That's already done. Now the phase two effort, which is about $105 billion just in sick leave and unemployment, that passed the House still underway in the Senate. There's some objections in the Senate. Senators are working through that. They hope to have a vote on that one today. The phase three this is up to a trillion or $1.2 trillion. Uh, that's the ask that Secretary Mnuchin made yesterday up on Capitol Hill. There, the Senate is going to be working on that next. That is still TBD. And then also there's a what we can call a phase four here. Uh, last night, uh, the uh, White House asked Congress for additional resources for federal agencies. That's 458 billion dollars in that request. So a lot of money uh, going out the door already and a lot of money on the way. Uh, That's where things stand now. And guys, as as of, of course we've been talking about all through the morning, that's different and side by side with all of the actions that the Federal Reserve has been taking as Steve Leisman has been updating us throughout the day, Carl.
3: Heyman, thank you. Uh, Interesting. Uh, It's hard to keep track with the policies, Jim, which, as Heyman um, suggested, uh, don't change by the day.
4: Uh, They change by the hour. Patchwork, minuscule, not thinking big enough. Thinking the way that this country thought before World War II. Uh, Not uh, scolding anyone. This obviously is bigger. But, you know, you want to feed, house, and clothe 100 million people. You don't talk about taff. You don't talk about commercial paper. All those things are very important. We want to make sure that that nothing... Nothing freezes up. We want to make sure that the banks are solvent. You make the credit lines available, and the Federal Reserve just issues a statement. Right? I know. Again, I want some statements. How about something like at 11, 11 o'clock where the, the Federal Reserve says with the president, or the 1130, they all get together and say, look, here's the things that aren't going to happen. The banking system, a la what Ben Bernanke said, it's not going to go down. Ben Bernanke with an excellent piece in the uh, in, in the Financial Times with Janet Yellen saying, yeah. listen, yeah. the Federal Reserve has to buy corporates. There's a fantastic article by my old friend Peter Evis in the New York Times and some other people talking about the size of, that, uh, of the corporate market. So the Federal Reserve has to say, listen, we're going to buy any and all corporates. And remember, they're going to make a bargain. Because once they buy them, they 're going to go up in value, so the Federal Reserve issues that saying, "You know what we 're going to do what Bernanke and Yellen said we're going to buy all the corporates you want as a matter of fact we're sixty two bid for something that's worth ninety all right uh, but if, if by a $10 million size or maybe $100 million size or maybe a billion size. And then the other side, Secretary Mnuchin says, you know what, $1.2 trillion, we didn't mean to be that, that granular. We're going to give you what the people need to be able to live on a paycheck with money from the federal government until we solve this or get to where the uh, Federal Express said China is and Starbucks China is. And then the president says, you know what, Manhattan Project, we are going to solve this disease. In the meantime, we're going to continue with the hiatus of business. And then we're fine. I mean, we're fine in the sense that the center holds, and that's kind of what we want, is the center to hold. Right. I mean, rhetorically, that's where
3: we've been headed uh, the last 24 hours. Uh, Mnuchin saying now is not the time to worry about the deficit. There was a spokesman for Speaker Pelosi yesterday who said that Powell told her Congress is, quote, enabled to think fiscally big. So it doesn't seem like there are
4: uh, roadblocks at this point fiscally. Only mental roadblocks. Only people who don't want to think bigger. Once again, I'm going to say it to Mr. President and to Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and to Fed Chairman Powell, Bell. All of them. I know, guys. We're going to look back and no one is going to say, you know what? I can't believe how much money they took down for the 100 million workers. What were they thinking? No one is going to say that. No one. This is their time. We'll look back and we'll say they either thought big or they went home.
1: Right. I mean, Jim, if somebody were to say to you, you have the chance to avoid 20% or more unemployment, you would do anything. Right. It doesn't matter.
4: Look, I mean if you want to put it in the way, we can we can appease every constituency. We spend that in order to make it so China's not the only world power and it's a uni, it's a unipower world. We spend that in order to make it so that the fabric of America is saved. We spend that in order to make it so that our country is unified and there is no sort of yes, insurrection that could occur. Who know? Put it any way you want to. But you come back and I say, David and Carl, this is your chance to say, you know what, the center's going to hold. Because we're big thinkers and we're not going to let the unthinkable happen because we are one nation, one nation. I mean, I would read the darn (laughs) pledge of allegiance uh, if I had to. Just to be able to be sure that there's enough money for everybody next week, our individual charitable contributions to workers we like because we're well off. is going to be, okay. when does the federal government take over for the hairstylist and for the waitress? You know, the drive through person at Yum, when does the federal government say, you know what, that person is entitled to a meal until we solve this? And that's what yeah. has to go on. And, and, you know, look, the shareholders, the, I mean, we want to make the credit work, and we can always talk about whatever facility is necessary. We can, but we need to think FDR, not TAF. <laughs>
3: Jim, holding on to 20K, let's get to Bob Bassani, see what's happening on the floor. Morning, Bob.
0: And the most important thing is uh, no circuit breakers this morning. The Slightly different tone, a, a, a little concern at the open, but we never hit those circuit breakers. Just put that on Remember, 7% didn't get near there right now. It's sort of down about, uh, as you saw, roughly 6%, that level one halt, 7%, not there yet. So let's just move on and show you the main thing that everyone was concerned about this morning, everything was down. So if you look, for example, uh, at uh, corporate bonds, put up the next uh, screen, you look at corporate bonds, this is LQD, we're down, corporate bonds down. S&P 500, the the spider ETF, that's down. Crude oil's down, gold's down, everything down here. That implies, of course, people are simply moving to the sidelines and and gathering cash. That's an issue down here. Sectors, uh, we're continuing to see some small bifurcation, as we used to say. Consumer staples still down, notably healthcare down. Utilities eating down even more industrials down seven and a half percent. So, yes, a little bit of different differentiation, but let's not get too crazy about it. The overall market is still down 2 or 3% differences between the highest and the lowest ones. Boeing here, of course, big concern over in the Dow here. Broke 100 briefly just a few moments ago. But remember, Boeing's talking about uh, a seeking access to $60 billion in public and private liquidity for the aerospace industry. Boeing's market cap is now below $60 billion. It's probably at this level maybe $57, $58 billion, somewhere around there. Rather remarkable uh, just to see what Boeing's been doing recently. S&P 500, just want to remind everybody uh, from our cash in a little while ago, several weeks ago, 2351. That was the old December 24th. 2018 low that we've seen. We have not touched that, uh, but we have gotten awfully close several times. There's not much technicals out there to look for, but that's sort of the main one that everybody uh, is looking at. Curiously, a lot of analysts are still in the upgrade and downgrade business. You think would this really matter? But no, they're still out there. Walmart got an upgrade today. Again, one from uh, Credit Suisse. They may grow their market share. Kroger got an upgrade at Telsey Group, talking about a surge in demand for food. O'Reilly Auto upgraded over at Goldman Sachs. Counter-cyclicality of auto parts business. Ralph Lauren also got an upgrade of B of A, uh, downside largely priced in Dunkin' Brands uh, upgraded over at BTIG. There also are some downgrades, and pay attention to that. Of course, we saw the big, uh, some good strength here in Coca-Cola recently, Monster Beverage downgraded over at Morgan Stanley, mandated closures for businesses and restrictions on public gatherings, a problem for these. So the debate now is very simple. What are we still in? Is this a U-shape? Is it an L-shape recovery? Most people are not big on using V-shaped anymore. Uh, The L-shape seems to be very much in control of the narrative right now here. And, of course, there's some question about whether or not we're going to need bigger bazookas out there, to to put it mildly. The L-shape recovery, if you have critical economic relationships that may be disrupted, longer term, particularly in small business. Jeffrey is a very good example here, uh, quoting, of course, uh, what we saw in JAWS, we're going to need a bigger boat. So a lot of questions about even with the current programs, whether we're going to see additional ones on top of them. But I think it's very encouraging here, Carl, the somewhat quieter response of the market, not just not at the moment, not hitting the circuit breakers. Uh, Markets did open a little more orderly as well. There were much, much uh, less uh, delays in some of the openings uh, here. So up and running a lot quicker here. Guys, back to you.
1: Yeah, hey, Bob, it's David. Um, You know, you spend your days a lot of times obviously talking to trading desks. Um, What are you hearing in terms of a a situation we've never encountered before, where we've got people either working from remote locations or many working from home? What are you hearing in terms of the ability to trade, settlements, fails and things of that nature is this going okay or is it encountering some issues
0: well you know the, the thing i've been watching carefully is the market plumbing what we call market structure is everyone able to get the trades through uh is we able to get the settlement and the system has worked remarkably well now there have been some some flash points but remember they made some big changes several years ago in response to the flash crash for example uh they upgraded the, the sec required systems upgrades Regular testing. The system overall is more robust than it was 10 years ago. And I think uh, that is showing through. There was a, a regulation called Reg SCI that the SEC implemented with all the exchanges. You have to upgrade, you have to regularly stress test the systems. Uh, this happened in the last 10 years, and I think it's made a difference. There has been some modest dislocations in some of the ETFs, for example, some of the corporate bond and, and bond ETFs recently. There's been some differences in the net asset value uh, at the, uh, towards what people are willing to pay and what are being priced. Uh, but that's simply because the ETF business allows people to trade without the, trading the underlying securities. So, for example, the SPY, the spider. this is the largest ETF. Ninety percent of the time, the buy trades without any of the underlying securities, the S&P 500, actually changing hands underneath that. So individuals can trade without actually trading the underlines. You can do that in the bond market as well. Sometimes you get some mispricings in the last few days, but that tends to narrow as things kind of calm down. So in terms of the trading desk... Yeah, people are worried about the fact that a lot of people aren't in down here at the NYSE as well. This has been an issue and hotly discussed in the last few days. But in terms of the market structure, most of it seems to still be working pretty well. David?
3: All right, Bob, I'll take it. Uh, Thank Thank you, you, Bob Pisani. Uh, Dollar index above 100. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Good morning, Rick.
2: Wow. You're going in reverse. I was going to get to the dollar index, but since you brought it up, we haven't closed above 100 since about tax day 2017. So mid April 2017. Let's start at the top. You know, housing starts and permits were down a little bit. But what did I say? They are really lofty. Let's look at 15 year charts of both. You know, they're in the zip code of some of the best numbers basically in 13 years. Yes, they've turned down a bit, but they've turned down from upwardly revised numbers in previous months. So those are really two pretty looking charts. Now, let's look at what's going on in the Treasury market. You know, obviously, curve steepening is wild. Is the long end really powering ahead? You know, if you're going to have a lot of deficits, and I I get all the reasons why we need to, uh, maybe the Treasury market is waking up to that, especially the long end. Ultra bonds yesterday were limit down as sales came in, pushing yields up, you know, we have initial jobless claims. We extended them in the 2007-2008 crisis. Starting to buy corporates, talk about these things. Market's going to get a bit nervous. Didn't really work out well for Japan and Europe. But, hey, well, let's see how it goes. Look at it, March 9th. And I picked March 9th because Monday, March 9th, is when we made all the historic intraday lows across the entire yield curve, pretty much on every fixed-income product that has to do with sovereign. So if you look at two-year, you can see that they have, Traded not through the high yields, which are around 55. We haven't done that. But as you go down the curve, look at what happens to 10-year. We've definitely traded above. As a matter of fact, uh, right before our time zone started officially, we traded up close to 122 in a 10. In 30 years, we've traded up a bit as well. So the long end steepening, and it happens both with prices going up and down lately because the long end is really starting to power ahead. Now, let's look at what's going on with regard to 10 spinous twos here it sits at what now 62 and change it's the steepest in basically two years let's see what's going on overseas yesterday I put a chart up boons versus Italian tens tens to tens in Europe I even put up the French ones now you see that line coming up on the right you really need to pay attention to that because what's going on is boon deals are actually starting to go down they're narrowing with regard to the spread to the US but with other governments in Europe it is Definitely widening. That is a credit issue to pay attention to. Very quickly, dollar index, there it is, three-year chart. We haven't been at these levels since basically March, April
3: 2017. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, we'll talk to you in a bit. Uh, Facebook has gone from 200 to 143 in about three weeks. Cheryl uh, Sandberg talked to Jim last night about how the company's changing the way they do business.
5: We're very close to small businesses. 140 million use our platform you know, platforms all over the world. And we work with them every day. And we heard directly from them that they were in need, very nervous, not able to pay a lot of their employees and worried their doors were shut. So we're working around the clock to help as much as we can.
3: All right, Jim, that's the kind of corporate behavior that you're applauding today.
5: Right,
4: we're looking for, for public and private. We want to rally private. We want to rally private citizens too. It's just that the federal government is so much bigger than everybody uh, Charles Sandberg doing her part, trying to invest in the companies that have used them and done great and maybe uh keep them uh give them a lifeline. But I do think that what we need is as much as we 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 need the Canadian border seal, whatever, but we need to hear what we'll do for the working people uh, in order to make sure that the center does hold and the blood dimmed uh tide is not loosed. And I do think that in terms of weapons, we got to start thinking about little boy uh because that's what dropped on Hiroshima. And, you know, that's what we needed. So let's keep that in mind. Uh,
3: Surgeon General David on the Today Show this morning. I think we're starting to turn a corner and people really are getting the message. It's because it's starting to affect people who they see and know. Uh, That's the kind of behavior change we are looking for.
1: You know, every every incremental piece of news we hear that actually speaks to the virus being slowed in its spread is good news, Carl. But again, we got to wait for the numbers themselves. And everything's going to be a little wacky given testing is increasing. And so we're going to find a lot of cases that have not been in the current count. Um, but yeah, that is something that we can look at at least and with the hope that we can get to the other side more quickly without, of course, as we've been saying, overwhelming the healthcare system. That's what we desperately want to avoid. All the experts will tell you we don't want to have the tragedy that's going on in Italy.
4: Uh, uh, Jim, let's do stop trading. boys. is that ever right, David? Uh, it's Coca-Cola. You know, Morgan Stanley downgraded it. Coca-Cola is a safe haven, but they're talking about how at this time, at this point, it isn't that maybe the bottlers need money. The convenience store companies maybe not doing the business that they thought. And so now you have a company that we know this is a good example. We know it's going to come out on the other side. So the question is, do you bet on science and say, you know what, I'm going to buy Coca-Cola, the 4 percent yield? Or, or do you bet on the Grim Reaper and Stephen King and say, I don't want to own that? I'm, I'm still going to go with the scientist versus Stephen King. All right, Jim, what's well, on so tonight? Can I just say this is important for David. Uh, David knows my sister Nan and she does say David has a nice apartment much better than most who come on remotely where does he live everybody wants to know that <laughs> I mean you obviously David yeah, well this is <laughs> you look great I'm, I'm very lucky <laughs> I'm
1: at my remote location and uh, I did wear a tie for you Jim as you know I only have one here so you guys may start to see this tie more regularly or perhaps tomorrow I have one jacket so I'll put that on but uh, but thank you I may have to. Um, I have yeah, a great looking office, you know. David.
4: I may have to duel you. I don't yeah. know. In the meantime, we've got Logitech tonight to. on that's a competitor to Zoom. You know, people, are, as David shows you, people are using their home office. I don't know what, whether David has Zoom, whether he has Logitech, whether he WebEx. And then uh, Starbucks, let's <laughs> find out what they're, uh, what they're doing. And I think it'll be interesting to talk about the buyback in light of what Mark Cuban is talking about. Uh, there's a rebellion against buybacks, unless you're a shareholder. You've been
1: listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, Today. Pursue your tomorrow
6: with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.